Hey, New Hope Church, I hope you guys are doing fantastic today. I just wanted to take a brief moment and say two things to you. First is this, New Hope, you did incredible during the 27 worship service Christmas run that we had. That doesn't even include all the internet campuses, but you did incredible by investing and inviting your friends to some of our campuses. We had, I am certain of it, we had more first-time guests than we have ever had before in the history of New Hope Church. So well done. I am so stinking proud of you. Secondly, I get the awesome privilege of introducing to you today my friend, Pastor Derek Idol. Let me tell you about Derek. Derek is the student pastor at 12 Stone Church, which is a phenomenal church in the Atlanta, Lawrenceville area. They're also a multi-site church, so he leads a huge student ministry. He is a rock star for Jesus in Atlanta, Georgia's number one. But number two, he actually speaks all over the country to students and student ministry and adults. The guy is just anointed And he is an incredible communicator. I am thrilled that you get to hear him preach today. Listen, take out your teaching notes at all of our campuses. Grab your pens. Lean in because God's going to use this man to speak to you today and minister to you and encourage you and challenge you in the way of the Lord as we get into this end of the year, New Year season. And hey, I just can't help but also remind you that on Sunday, January 5th, a week from today... We are starting the brand new series, How to Get Rich. It's going to be awesome, and I am so excited about it. You don't want to miss it. Invest and invite your friends. But that's next week. For now, I want you to give it up. Get on your feet if you would like. Scream if you would like. But you know how we do it at New Hope. We give a lot of love to our guest speakers. And so I want you to give Derek Idol a warm, warm New Hope welcome to the house of the Lord. (laughs) Well, thank you. What's up, New Hope? Man, let me just say what an incredible privilege it is to be here at this church. And, And let me just tell you, What God is doing here at New Hope Church is unbelievable. It's supernatural. Like when I look around and I hear of all the campuses that are, that are coming up and being planted two in one day. One of my closest friends, Mitch Cartrett, is now the campus pastor out at the North Raleigh campus. I mean, just expanding and God's moving and things are happening. I mean, it is unbelievable. And what I know is, is that sometimes when you are in the middle of a move of God, sometimes it's difficult for you to see it. So I'm here to tell you, on the outside looking in, people all over the country are talking about what God is doing in this church, in this place. You are a blessed people, and God deserves all the praise and glory and honor for what he is doing in this place. Yes. And also, I want to say thank you so much to Pastor Benji. And man, I've, I've loved getting to know Pastor Benji. And this is what I know about Pastor Benji. He loves the church that God has entrusted to his care. This is his heart. This is his passion. And it comes out when you hear him preach. I mean, he's a passionate man of God. You know what I mean? And I love hearing him preach. But he loves you, church. 
And you guys are so blessed to have a pastor like him. And I look forward to seeing what God does at New Hope over the seasons to come. And, and, and I just want to tell you, I've been looking at some of the podcasts of this last You Got Christmas series. And I've been hearing some of the inspiring stories of the things that God has done throughout the community, all throughout the communities around the campuses of New Hope Church and, and all the works that he has been doing through that and how people's lives have been touched and changed and all the services that you guys have had last week. I mean, those are so inspiring and so amazing. Well done, church. Well done for being the church to the people in the church and outside the walls of the church. And let me tell you something, I not only like hearing those stories, but I like telling those stories. And I got a story that I have to tell you guys. Can I tell you all a story? All right. Uh, I've got this student in my youth group. His name's Devin. Now, Devin's kind of a quiet kid. He doesn't, he's not, you know, super outspoken and and aggressive. And and, and Devin's just a, just a, a consistent guy, man. He loves Jesus. He's 15 years old. He's a sophomore in high school. And um, one of the youth leaders of my youth group come up to me and he says, hey, listen, man, I got to tell you a story about Devin. Devin decided this Christmas, and his birthday is three weeks before Christmas, that he was going to take all the money and everything that he was going to get for Christmas and his birthday, he was going to put all that together, and he was going to give it away to a family in need. He went out, did some searching. He found this family who is raising this little girl. Now, this little girl was abandoned by her mother in the hospital after delivery. And a foster family has taken this little girl in. And and Devin decided that he would go and he would take all this money that he would get for his birthday and Christmas and give it to this family to help them raise this little girl because they were being selfless and he wanted to be selfless. And so Devin had this birthday party at his house and he said, Listen, don't bring me a gift. Don't bring me a card. If you're going to bring anything, bring $10 in cash. He raised over $200 at his birthday. And then he took the money for Christmas and he gave it away to this family. And actually, I got a picture of some of the things that he bought the family. Here's a picture of it right here. Isn't that awesome? Not only that, but I also got a picture of Devin and the little girl that he bought all these gifts for. Is that not incredible? I mean, that's a story that just has to be told. And I was so inspired by what Devin had done. And I was sitting here thinking, man, what did I give up for Christmas? I didn't give away any of my presents. Like, I didn't give up anything in this sort of a way. And I'm like feeling a little guilty right now, you know. And, I'm like, and I was so inspired by the story. I was like, man, we got we to gotta get this kid in front of our youth group. And we got to show the other students in our youth group that, man, this is what Christmas is about. This is what being a follower of Jesus is about. It is about putting yourself aside. And it is about sharing the love of Christ with others. And so I didn't tell Devin this. He didn't even know I knew about this happening. So I called his mom up and I said, what would Devin have gotten for Christmas or his birthday if he didn't do this? He says, well, uh, he, maybe an iPod uh, touch because his broke a little while back. And, you know, he, he, maybe uh, he's been wanting this speaker thing that's like one of these little speaker things that puts out all this sound. And, you know, they're over a hundred bucks. They're kind of expensive and... <clears throat> And then there's a, you know, a retreat that we do that's a couple hundred dollars. It's called Dig. And she says he always raises his money for that. And so, you know, even something like that. I mean, that would be the kind of things that he would be asking for for Christmas. I said, well, don't tell him. We're going to do something special for him. 
So the next night on that Thursday night of our student ministry, we had this big Christmas party. Just going to be fun, but we decided to make it very intentionally, um, spiritually powerful in this moment. And I told this story. I put the pictures on the screen. And when I put the picture of Devin holding the little girl, the place erupted. 350 kids going crazy, cheering for their classmate. Devin comes up on the stage. And I said, Devin, man, I want you to just, what, what inspired you to do that? And he says, man, I just feel like I'm being selfish and I have so much in my life and I'm so blessed and I just wanted to give back. I felt like that's what God was calling me to do and I had to be obedient. Now, this kid's 15 years old, people. And I'm like, dude, that is awesome. Let's give it up for him. They, they cheer for him. Well, y'all don't have to, but I'm telling you, y'all can cheer for him too. Let's give it up for him. They cheer for him. He goes to walk out and say, oh, hold on, Devin, before you go. Brought him back and I said, I got something for you. I walked over to the tree. I picked out a present on a tree. Kind of said, I opened this thing up. He opens it up iPod touch. He's pumped. Place is going crazy. I'm like, all right, man, thanks, Devin. Thanks. He goes, well, oh, oh, before you go, I go under the tree. I come back and I, I give, he opens up and it's the speaker that he's been wanting. And I said, all right, Devin, everybody's cheering for him. And he goes, well, oh, oh, before you go. And I go over and I gave him $200 to go towards Dick. Gave him over $600 worth of gifts for Christmas for him. And I did that because I wanted our students to see that maybe you're not going to get rewarded for the things that you do in your life like that on this side of eternity, but sometimes you do. Sometimes you do. And I told our students, let me tell you about Devin. Devin embodies what it means to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He embodies that. And that is what the church is supposed to be. And that's what I love about Christmas. What I love about Christmas is is that no other time during the year do people give more than they give than during Christmas. People are selfless. They care more than they care. They serve more than they ever serve. They they do more during this time of the year. And there's there's this air about it. And people are happy and they're excited. And they're excited because they get to give their loved ones gifts that they want to see their face when they open it. And they're excited because they receive gifts that they they want. and And they, they get to and just enjoy this time with each other. And that's the reason the song, the song says, It's the most wonderful time of the year. That's why I'm not a worship leader. In case you guys were wondering. And uh, because it is, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Which, by the way, the afternoon services are the only ones who got that little ensemble singing there. But it is, it is the most wonderful time of the year. And it's because people's hearts are postured in a way that is selfless and thinking of others. And it got me thinking, church. What if the people of God decided that it wouldn't end with Christmas? That we would serve people, love people, care for people. That we would, we would, you got Christmas, if you will, every single day and look for the needs around us. How would that change our community? How would that change our church? How would that change our neighborhoods? How would that change our families? How would that change our schools? How would that change our workplace? Listen, it would turn it upside down. Turn it upside down. And then it got me thinking, what if you got Christmas continued? That's the title of the message. What if you got Christmas continued? Benji and I were talking and we both agreed with a statement. He said, and I was like, man, that is right on. He says, if you got Christmas ends in 2013, church, we've missed it. We've missed it. It's not about a season. It's not about a series. It's about a lifestyle. 
It is about changing a culture. It is about changing who you are. And let me just get, let me get a little personal with you guys right now. And I know we don't know each other that well. And so I'm letting you into a kind of a sensitive window of my life. And I'm kind of a man's man. I'm not super sensitive. So this is kind of tough for me to do. But we're going to go there. 2013 was a very deeply meaningful, spiritually growing year for me. God challenged me in some areas of my life that I did not even realize I needed challenging in. And one of those areas is that, is that I was so involved in all of this ministry inside the walls of the church that I was neglecting ministry in other areas of my life. See, I was seeing people come to Christ. I was baptizing kids. We we're doing all this ministry and speaking at things and all this kind of stuff. But the truth was is that, is that I had lost care. I had got casual with things that God deeply cares about. I got casual in my home. I got casual in my neighborhoods. I had gotten careless with, with some of the, the opportunities of ministry that I had in my circles of influence that we all have on a day-to-day basis. <clears throat> and I thought I was okay. Because I'm doing ministry. I'm doing a lot of ministry. And God just put his little finger on that area of my life. And he says, "Mm -mm. you're overlooking things that I'm not okay with you overlooking. You, You have lost care for things that I am not okay with you losing care for. And listen, let me tell you something, church. When we lose care for the things that God cares about, we're in trouble. When we lose care for the things that God cares about, we're in trouble. This, this happened all throughout Scripture. This is the reason that the Israelites always got themselves in trouble. Because they treated casually the things that God said, you better not treat that casually. Like, for example, there's this really cool story in 2 Kings chapter 22 where King Josiah finds the law of God, the word of God in the temple. What do you mean he finds it? The reason he finds it is because it had been misplaced. It had been misplaced. The people of God had misplaced the word of God. For years, they had went their own way. They had worshipped idols. They had had went against what God had for them. And as a result, they had lost care for something that God cared deeply about, his word. And King Josiah finds it and he brings it out and he, he, he puts it, where it in the proper place where it needs to be. He reveres it. He shares it to all the people. He tears down the altars. And, and God does this incredible thing in, in, this, in this season of Josiah's reign. Josiah is, is ranks as one of the most remarkable kings of Israel's history. And God delayed judgment on a generation because Joshua, because Josiah took the word of God and put it in its rightful place. Mm. Church, here's the question. What things in your life have you gotten careless with that God cares deeply about? Where have you gotten casual? I put this statement down, and I believe this statement with all of my heart. This message is not an indictment against you. This message is a caution. Because I believe that God is going to do crazy, amazing things here. And I put this down. Church, 
what God is doing here is unstoppable. It is unstoppable unless you lose care for the things that God cares about. This church is unstoppable. The work of this church, the work of this ministry is unstoppable unless you lose care for the things that God cares about. And there's a church in Scripture that did just that. If you got your Bibles, you can open to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to put it on the screen here in a minute. And it's the church at Laodicea. Now, I want you to notice the similarities to the church at Laodicea and the United States because they're very similar. Laodicea, the city of Laodicea, was one of the wealthiest cities in the world of this day. In fact, the average household size in Laodicea was 2,500 to 3,000 square feet. Much larger than any other city around in the world during this time. They had indoor plumbing, indoor, uh, indoor uh, water systems where they could get water inside their house. They didn't have to travel to go get the water. I mean, this is a pretty advanced city for its day. They were the leaders in business, and business was booming. They were known for famous clothing designers. They were known to have some of the best doctors in the world. People from all over the world came to Laodicea for their medical care. They had the best engineering and architectural uh, people, whatever you call them, in the world. And Jesus comes to the church at Laodicea here, speaking through John, and he tells John, hey, you need to tell the church at Laodicea to caution themselves. He brings a a, a firm rebuke. And Jesus can do that, right? And he does that sometimes in our life. The Bible tells us, For all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful in teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Sometimes he comes and he teaches us, and sometimes he rebukes us. Sometimes he corrects us. We don't like that. But he does. And he does this with the church of Laodicea. And we're going to read this here in Revelation chapter 15. We'll put it up on the screen. I'm, Revelation chapter 3. It says this, To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and wear clothes, white clothes to wear. So you can cover your shameful nakedness and put salve and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Notice what he says. He starts out with the church and he says, listen, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. But I wish you were one or the other. But because, you are, because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. See, at the city of Laodicea, because of the location of it, uh, there, were, there were hot springs that were off in a distance. And, and the cool water would collect off of the mountains into pools off in a distance. And so they had this elaborate aqueduct system that would move the water from the hot springs and the cool pools into the city. And because of the distance that the water had to travel, by the time that it got into the city, the cold water was lukewarm and the hot water was lukewarm. 
And so another point of this city, another thing that marked this city was, is that it was said to have nasty water. It was disgusting. I mean, you know what it's like, man. It's been a hot day. You've been working out in the yard, sweating, it's humid. And you go in the house and all you want is a big, tall glass of cold water. Or sweet tea if you're in the South. I prefer the sweet tea. And that's all you want, man. It's so refreshing. We got any coffee drinkers in the house? Oh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? You get up in the morning, like, you're like, man, you just have to form. You know what I'm saying? You got, you're out of bed. You're like, I don't even know what's going on. You, got, you, know, you get in the shower to try to wake up, and you get that coffee, and it's like, oh, heaven. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just warm. I mean, it's just hot, just piping. I love that piping hot coffee. And so part of my routine is that every day I'll, I'll get a hot cup of coffee, and I'll bring it with me to work, and I'll put it in my car. <clears throat> well, what happens is my wife gets really upset with me about this because what I do is, is that I, I, I accidentally leave I don't accidentally, (laughs) I just don't take them out. I leave the coffee mugs from the days before in my car, you know what I'm saying? And say, oh, you're going to mess up our coffee mugs? And like, they're like, have like growth, you know, stuff growing in it and all this kind of stuff, you know? And she's like, you're nasty and da 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 you know? And I'm like, woman, no, I'm just kidding, I'll do that. (laughs) My wife's 39 weeks pregnant, she would kick my butt, I'm telling you right now. And uh, so, so. So I get in my car, this is a couple weeks ago, I get in my car and I got this hot cup of coffee and I'm like half asleep and I'm driving into work and I got my coffee sitting there and I reach over to grab my coffee and you know what I did. (laughs) Oh, I didn't grab the fresh, hot, piping hot coffee that was in my, my little drink holder, right? I grabbed the, the fungus, like lukewarm, been sitting there for five days, coffee that is sitting there. And so, so I grabbed this cup of coffee, you know, I grabbed my, my mug and I go up and it's the same one. I mean, it's the same little travel mug thing. So I grab it and I go over and I take this big gulp and literally it goes in my mouth. I spray it. I mean, all over my dash, my steering wheel is dripping on my legs. I'm like, oh man, I'm awake now for sure. I'm awake now. I'm like spitting out my window. I got like napkins. I'm rubbing my tongue. Like I'm trying to, I mean, it is disgusting. Awful, awful. And dude, this is what Jesus is saying right here. Jesus is saying in this passage, You know when, (laughs) yeah, he is, you know when, you know when you reach over to grab that hot coffee and you grab the wrong cup and it's lukewarm and it's just disgusting and you put it in your mouth and it makes you just want to spit it all over your dashboard? That's how you are to me when you don't care about the things that I care about. That literally, you make me want to spit you out of my mouth. Hey, make up your mind. I wish you were cold or hot. Pick sides. I wish you were one or the other, but don't be lukewarm. Church, it's easy for us to slip into apathy and to be apathetic. And if you're taking notes, one of your lines there is apathy equals don't care. Apathy equals don't care. One author says this, the opposite of love is not hate, it's apathy. Hate can easily be turned into love and vice versa. But if we don't care in the first place, what is going to make us sit up and take notice? When you get apathetic and careless, you lose. Church, when you get apathetic and careless, you lose. 
Now, you need to write that down because I'm about to say something. And when I say it, you're going to forget what I just said because I know how controversial what I'm about to say is going to be. When you get apathetic and careless, you lose. And the perfect example of that is my team, Carolina. Now, Columbia campus, I am not talking about South Carolina, the Gamecocks, which I have much respect for. I'm talking about God's team, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, the Tar Heels. That's who I'm talking about. So y'all got Benji talking about Duke and all this kind of stuff. We got to give the Tar Heels some love this week. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I see we're in good company today. This I knew, I knew there was a reason why this church was doing some good things. <laughs> hey, this is for free. I haven't said this in any, other, in any other service, so you get this one for free. And it's just biblical. You know what I'm saying? Jesus in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5, he's in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You know what I'm saying? That's what he says. You know? He says, Jesus says, hey, watch out for false prophets, for they come like wolves in sheep's clothing. That's what he says. You got to watch out for them. You got to watch out for them. You know what I'm saying? He said, hey, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's what he says. That's what he says. I told you you're going to forget what I said. Tell me the sentence I said a minute ago. I knew y'all would forget. Let me tell you what I said. What I said was, I don't even know what I said. When you get apathetic and careless, you lose. Now, the UNC Tar Heels, they go out and they beat Michigan State, Louisville, Kentucky, three of the best teams in the country. And then we lose to Belmont. Who is Belmont? UAB. They got a basketball team? What is going on, people? You know why we lost? Because we got careless. See, you you take the other team lightly, you come out, you get careless with a few passes, you get careless on the rebounds, you get real careless at the free throw line, and you lose the game. Now listen, some losses are trivial, like a game, a basketball game, and the worst you're going to lose is a little bit of pride with your friends. Some losses matter. And when you get careless in your marriage, you lose. When you get careless with your kids, you lose. When you get careless with your character, with your faith, with your career, you lose. You lose. And it costs you a lot more than just a game. And that brings us to the question... What is it that I should be giving greater care for? What is it that God cares about? What can we learn from the church at Laodicea that could help us as a church to not have that said about us? Well, the first thing is this. We need to give greater care for our spiritual growth. We need to give greater care for our spiritual growth. Now, I know what you're saying, church. Come on, pastor. I know you didn't come here to bring us this big truth and you set this whole moment up just to tell us that we need to care more about our spiritual growth. I mean, that's pretty simple. But you know what I found? 
I found that it is the simple things in life that are sometimes the most difficult to follow. Like if you want to lose weight and be healthy, there's two things you got to do. Exercise and eat right. Pretty simple. How we doing? Like, I, I, I mean, it's Christmas, man. I, you know what I'm saying? Eat right was not on my agenda. That was, I didn't ask for that for Christmas. You want to be financially secure? Don't spend more than you make. Budget. Don't go into debt. Save. Invest. Easy, right? Not so much. Considering that our country leads the world in obesity... And we carry more debt per individual than any other nation in the world. Simple truths that we tend to neglect. And let me tell you what God cares about deeply. He cares about your spiritual growth because he cares about you. He cares so much about you and he cares so much about that relationship, that intimate relationship with you, that he died on the cross for you. He gave his life for you. He bought you with a price. The price of his life. And he wants to to grow with you. And he wants to to press into your life. And he wants to teach you. And he wants to meet with you. And he wants to speak to you. He wants you to grow. And church, we, we neglect this. One of the biggest reasons that I hear church people tell me all the time the reason they're leaving the church is this. I'm just not being fed. Pastor just didn't feed me anymore. Okay? So when are you going to start feeding yourself? When are you going to start feeding yourself? I mean, it'd be a little weird if a 16-year-old came over and sat on my lap and I pulled a bottle out and stuck it in his mouth. But we do that spiritually all the time, don't we? Been a Christian eight years and you still expect your pastor to feed you? Who feeds Pastor Benji? Pastor Benji does. We got to feed ourselves, church. We got to grow up. We got to grow up in our faith. And God cares about this. He cares about this deeply. Where do you need to give greater care in your spiritual growth? Listen, we all, we all need it. We all need to give greater care to this. And parents, I just want to talk to you for a minute since I'm a youth pastor. I've been a youth pastor for 12 years, and I just feel like if I don't have this conversation, I'll regret it. You have to lead your home spiritually. And you do that by being an example. You do that by caring about your spiritual growth. Your kids need to see you growing spiritually. They need to see you loving Jesus. They need to see you worshiping. They need to see you caring about spiritual things. I'm not talking about going to church on Sunday or or whatever it happens to be and calling yourself a Christian. Everybody in the Bible Belt goes to church on Sunday and calls themselves a Christian. I'm talking about caring about your spiritual growth. Parents, you need to understand this. Man, I'm going to get up in your grill a little bit here, but I'll put this down. Maybe the reason your kids don't care about their spiritual growth is because you don't care about yours.
Your kids need you to be an example. And I'm going to take it a step further. I deleted this out of my notes like five times. And I kept putting it back in. And so I think this is like uh, God's telling me to say this moment. But even if it's not, it's always good for a preacher to say that when he's about to say something that's going to ruffle some feathers. That way, he's like, hey, man, God told me to say it, man. It's no big deal. God, we got my back. Hey, God, man, I got this. Parents, listen up. Some of us, some of us are more concerned with our kids' academic performance than we are with their spiritual progress. Hello? Some of us are more concerned with our kids' academic progress or performance than we are with their spiritual progress. Listen, I don't care if your kid makes straight A's, goes to Harvard, makes a billion dollars one day. Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What does it profit a man? I was talking to a parent a couple weeks ago. I said, hey, man, I hadn't seen your son in a couple weeks. Where the heck's he been? This kid's on fire for Jesus. He's called to ministry, doing big things for Jesus. His dad said, well, we grounded him from church. What? You grounded him from church for what? It's the only thing he cares about. Are you serious? He made one C on his report card. Now, just for the record, if, if I got grounded when I made a C on a report card, bro, I'd still be grounded to this day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> C, D, F. I made the colors of the rainbow. You know what I'm saying? You know, my kids talking about AP classes. I'm talking about, well, I don't even know what that is. You know what I'm saying? You know? <laughs> Why would you do that to yourself? That's just more homework. I hated doing school when I got home. I turned out all right. <laughs> she said I did too. <laughs> uh, let's be serious. Let's be serious. Do you know how many parents would give everything that they have for their kids to care about church that much? Shame on you. Grounding your kids from church. The only place that reinforces the morals and values and biblical principles that you are trying to teach in your home, you are keeping them away from. Shame on you. You say, well, I don't want to force my kids to come to church. So I negotiate with them. Well, you know, if you come to me one church on Sunday, like once a month or whatever, you don't have to go to youth group, you don't have to go to small group, you don't have to go. What the heck are you talking about? You are negotiating with your 14-year-old about what's best for them spiritually? That is insane. What are you thinking? You are the parent. You are the one that God has placed in the responsible position to raise them in a way that is godly and honoring. And to teach the biblical principles to them. Your 14-year-old does not know what's best for them. I've been a youth pastor for 12 years. I'm telling you, a 14-year-old does not know what's best for them. They've never negotiated a deal on a house for a mortgage. They've, they've never done anything significant in their life. They can talk about, I want to be an adult. Make my, I don't want a curfew. I don't want this. you got to be a parent first. A parent first. And you got until they're 18 to be a parent. You better be wise with it. I don't want to force my faith on. Let me tell you something. Every parent that doesn't bring their kid to church because they don't want to force their faith on. Let me tell you what happens to your kids. They never come back to church. And I've watched it for 12 years. You want your kids in church, you better bring them. Because what happens is, is that they may not want to be there. 
But then they meet this really cool adult leader who wants to pour in their life. And they start loving on them. And they start sharing the love of Christ with them. And then that leader talks them into going to follow conference one afternoon. And they go on a Sunday night to this follow conference. And some weird dude in a black shirt and gray jeans starts talking about Jesus. And they say, hey, man, I've, I've, I've never heard it that way before. And they pray to receive Christ. And their lives change forever. And six months later, they feel called into ministry. And six months after that, they go off to college to study to go into ministry. That's my story. Come on, parents. Care about your spiritual growth. Care about your kids' spiritual growth. Let's move on. I'm going to get off my soapbox. I'm sorry. Give greater care for your spiritual growth. Secondly, give greater care for changing lives. Give greater care for changing lives. If the only story you can tell people is the story of your life change, but not the lives that you have changed, you have to wonder what's really been changed. Because changed lives change lives. I don't know a person that is passionate for Jesus that does not have a line of people behind them, that is not influencing and having impact. Where do you need to give more care in changing lives? This is passionately at the core of who Jesus is. I mean, everywhere he went, people's lives were being changed. Everywhere he went, he was, he was touching people who were the outcasts, the sick, the brokenhearted. I mean, he was stopping and meeting the needs of everyone. He cared about people and he cared about changing lives. And he gave his life up so that our lives would be changed. And he passed it on to the disciples. Let me just share one quick story with you from Scripture. It's in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, I mean, this story is awesome. Peter and John, I mean, the Pentecost is just tapping. The Holy Spirit's landed. 3,000 people come to know Jesus. And here we are in Acts chapter 3. This amazing story of, of Peter and John who are coming into the temple. They're coming into worship. And there's this beggar at the gate, beautiful. People have walked by this guy, and the Bible tells us that this guy's been put at this gate most every day, most of his life. He has sit there begging for money, crippled, and most people ignore this guy. In fact, everyone's ignored this guy. They've walked past him, and people walk past him, and people walk past him, and people walk past him, and they ignore him, and they ignore him, and they ignore him. In fact, Peter and John have probably walked through this gate and saw this same beggar dozens of times before. This time, they acted. I want you to notice what the scripture says. We're going to start in verse 3. When he saw Peter and John, talking about the beggar, about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. They looked at him. Now, this is a pretty powerful word here in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in. It's only used a few times in Scripture. It's used right before this in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascends into heaven, and it says the disciples looked up at him. It's used shortly after this, when Stephen, the first martyr, uh, is stoned. And after while he's being stoned, it says, and he looked up, or he gazed up into heaven. This is the same word that he's talked about here. This is not just a glance, not like they're walking by, and they're like, oh, okay. This is like, an intense look. They stopped and they looked at him. It is almost as if they had these eyes of compassion when they saw him. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said to him, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. 
Then Peter said, I love this, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he reached out and touched him, helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Listen, this is the power of what happens when you touch other people's lives. Just notice what happens. Then he went with them into the temple into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. He is on fire, man. He is pumped up. I mean, God has just healed him. He's praising God. And look, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him. They had never recognized him before, but now all of a sudden they recognize him. They recognize him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And listen to what it says they did. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. When you see the needs of other people and you touch it and they get fired up and people are like, holy cow. That's incredible. And it's contagious and it just goes out. It's amazing. And in your notes, if you're taking notes there, I'll put this down. One of the things we see of Peter and John did is first they stopped. Instead of just strolling right through that gate like they always did, they stopped this time. They saw the need. They felt the need. They had empathy, compassion. And they touched the need. What would it look like, church, if every day you got Christmas continued and we stopped all of our business? I know things are about to get busy. School's coming back in. Work's starting to kick back up. You know, all the busyness of all the extracurricular activities. I, I get it. What would happen, though, if we stopped? We saw the needs around us. We felt the needs around us. We touched the needs around us. Let me tell you something. You better watch out. You wouldn't even be able to fit people in this building. You'd have to stack them on top of each other. They'd have to build a balcony or something in here. I mean, it'd be crazy because of the impact that would happen as a result of that. Because it's contagious. It's contagious. Jesus cared about changed lives. Let me close with this. Remember at the beginning, (laughs) I told you that God has been dealing with me in a lot of areas. One specifically is that it's not just about ministry inside the church, but it's also in the circles around me. So I'm driving home. Driving home from work one day, and I'm pulling into my neighborhood, and I see this field over here, and it is full of about 15 high school students playing football. Now, I'm dressed like I am now. I got, like, my button-down shirt, some jeans, and I got some cowboy boots on, and I just felt this prompt from God, go play football with them. God, I'm like, i tired. I've been at work all day. I got all this on. I got to get home to my wife. You know, I I got to get home, God. And God's like, hey, bro, I ain't asking what you think. (laughs) <laughs> go play football with them. Oh. So I pulled my car over and I stopped and I get out of the car and I'm walking over and I'm like, hey, what's up, fellas? You guys mind if I jump in and play? You got extra room for one more? And they're like, yeah, old man, jump on this team. <laughs> oh, man. I'll teach you, you little punk. And uh, <clears throat> so I get over there and, uh, and we start playing the game. And, uh, and, and I jump on defense and I'm on this team that's on defense. And literally the first play is like a snap and the guy throws a, an immediate touchdown to the guy and I'm like oh great my team's terrible and uh so we back up and we're on the kickoff return team now we're on the kickoff return team and and uh and uh and I, I look over to one of the guys and I say hey by the way man what, what are we doing here we're playing some two-hand tag we're playing you know we're playing like what are we playing here and he's like nah dude we play tackle <laughs> tackle you play tackle yeah, I play tackle. Dude, it, you know how long it's been since I played tackle football? Now, I played tackle in high school. I played high school football, but I was like, all right, all right, I got it. All right, tackle football. So I'm like, please don't get the ball to me. And then the next thing you know, they kick it off, and where 
would the ball go? Of course it would. Of course it would. God is just up there laughing right now. I'm telling you, he's looking there like Derek. <laughs> and, and so I, I catch the football, <laughs> I catch the football, and I'm running. And I said, all right, so I'm going to run up the sideline over here. That way I can just step out of bounds, you know, right before I get any contact. So I'm running up the sideline. I'm, I'm getting it. And, uh, and, and, and this 14-year-old kid in my neighborhood um, who's like half my size is running full speed at me. Now, I just had this thought. You know all those little punk teenagers in your youth group for the last 12 years and how you would just revel in the opportunity to just play tackle football with them and just take them out one good time? Well, here's your opportunity. So I'm running down the sideline, and this kid, he's running at me. I mean, he is, like, intent. And he gets at me, and I just go, boop, and I just stiff arm him. He goes flying through the air, lands on his back. I run in for a touchdown, spike the ball on the ground. I'm like, yeah, what's up, young blood? They're like, yeah, man, what's up, old man? You know, we're, we're just going, and it, it was awesome. And, uh, and, uh, and, and so the next play, we kick the ball off. And uh, so I'm running down the field like full speed. And, and, and like their team like saw me coming and, and they parted like the Red Sea. All of his blockers. All his blockers. Like, I ain't getting that guy's way. I ain't, that guy's on a mission. And the guy catches the ball and he looks and he takes like, like 10 steps. And he's like, I mean, you can see his eyes get bit. And I, I just, I just, whoom, I just laid him out. Just, just hammered this guy. Laid him out in there. And I was like, dude, this is awesome. We played tackle football for the rest of the afternoon. Listen, next day, the guy's coming to my house and say, hey, you mind if we play football in your backyard? Yeah, no problem, man. This guy started playing football in my backyard all the time. I'd be in the yard doing yard work and this summer, and they would come out and they'd help me in my yard. And, and I just started building a relationship with these high school kids in my neighborhood. One day, I'm driving home from work through the neighborhood again, and one of the students, his name's Melvin, Hispanic kid, comes running out of his house, junior in high school, or sophomore in high school, plays middle linebacker for his high school football team, runs out, runs up to my car, waving me down. I roll the window down. He says, hey, hey, Derek, uh, you're, you're, you're a youth pastor, right? And I was like, yeah. He said, uh, dude, you mind if I go to church with you? Sure. I said, dude, we got our youth group like tomorrow night. It's Thursday night, man. You should come. It's going to be awesome. He's like, great. He said, I'll give you a call. And then he stood me up. But the next week, it's 530. He calls me. He said, hey, Derek, this is Melvin. I'm over here with Kendall and Andrew. The three of us want to know if you can come and pick us up and bring us over to your youth group tonight. This is our back-to-school bash. We had like, we had 708 students come to this service that night. High school students. It's Crazy. Crazy. I mean, I was the person in charge, so I had all of these responsibilities. It's 5.30. I'm preaching that night. Students are already getting there. The crowd's starting to pour in at 6 o'clock. The main service starts at 7. I mean, it's getting crazy up there. It's 5.30. And I'm just like, man, I can't. I can't. Like, I can't do it, man. I'm sorry. I can't drive 20 minutes there, pick you up 20 minutes back. I'm too busy right now. And I just felt this prompt from the Spirit. You better go get those guys. I'm like, but God, man, I got all this stuff going on. Like, I can't. I'm too busy. Like, right now, I'm too busy. Derek, stop. Stop. So I walked over to my team. I said, hey, can you guys handle it? I got to go do something. I said, yeah. I went and picked up Melvin, Andrew, and Kendall. That night at the end of the service, I gave an invitation. 117 high school students gave their lives to Christ. Unbelievable. One of the coolest moments of my student ministry career. And three of those students was Andrew, Kendall, and Melvin.
Would those guys have came if I hadn't stopped the car that day to play football with them? I don't know. But that started something that ended with some major fruit. And it was because I stopped. I saw their need, I felt their need, and I touched it. Church, know the things that God cares about and care deeply for them. Chase them. He cares about your spiritual growth. He cares about changed lives. So let me close with this quote. It's by David Platt. He says this, Those who are the most effective at reaching the masses are the most passionate about reaching the one. Who's the one? Who's the one you need to be praying for and going after? Father, I want to pray over New Hope Church. I pray over these, these, this congregation. I pray, God, that you would just move, that you would do your work, that you would do your thing in their hearts and their lives. And God, we all have areas that we need to respond in. When it comes to our spiritual growth, when it comes to changed lives, when it comes to being challenged further in the areas of lives we need our growth in, I pray, God, that you would put your finger on our lives and that you would change us from the inside out. I pray for that parent that's in here right now that's struggling. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just meet them where they're at. That you would just well up with them in a desire to grow spiritually. Maybe they don't know what to do with their kids right now. Maybe they've gone their own ways and they're doing their own things. But God, you know as well as I do. The greater is he that is in us and he that is in the world we can come to you and you can break down any wall and any barrier in any kid's life and God I pray that you give parents wisdom in this place I pray that you would give every person in here just an extra dose of your spirit pour out your favor on this church and meet us where we're at tonight we pray in Jesus name amen